Welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and I'm glad to be back after a couple of months of a gap. Um, normal service is now going to be resumed, and um, today I'm going to interview Jim Hopkinson, who's the Deputy Director of Children's Social Care at Bradford Council, uh, where I um, actually chair the um, Safeguarding Children Board. Now, it seemed very important and helpful to get Jim's perspective on things at the moment because he oversees a number of uh, vital services for social services and has got some very good views and is also a great exponent of social media, which I think we all agree is going to be um, the well a new front or a, an increasingly new front in terms of how we work, how we interact with the public and how we actually get information across and information back. So Jim has kindly agreed to uh, be interviewed today. Now, as well as that, starting next week, in the, 20th, uh, the 25th of June, Bradford is hosting Safeguarding Week. It was the original. Bradford was the original uh, creator of this and now many, many authorities across the country have uh, duplicated this. And it's a fine idea because it showcases so many local groups, voluntary groups, professional associations, whatever, right throughout the week. And if you go to Bradford's website, um, you will get a full program if you happen to be in the Yorkshire area over the next week or so from the 25th to the 29th. So without further ado, and with that as a backdrop, I'm delighted now to move on and uh, talk with Jim Hopkinson. Thank you. I'm joined today by Jim Hopkinson, who's the Deputy Director of Children's Social Care at Bradford Council. Now, Bradford, in case people don't know it, is uh, a fairly substantial city in, in Yorkshire, and it's about, got about half a million population, and a very, very substantive part of that population are young people. Uh, Jim, welcome to the programme. Oh, thank you, David. Now, I mean, okay, Deputy Director of Children's Social Care, it is and sounds like important, obviously, but do you think you could deconstruct it a little bit and actually say, firstly, what sort of things you're responsible for? Yeah, um, thanks, uh, David. Yes, well, it, uh, first I'll say it's, it's my privilege uh, to, to work for Bradford Children's Services. As you said, uh, a population of just short of half a million an uh, uh, under-18 population of just short of 150,000 children. It actually makes Bradford, um, the demographics of Bradford, um, one of Britain's youngest city in terms of age profile. What, what I'm responsible for in Bradford is all the social work services, the social care services. I'm responsible for the youth offending um, service and youth offending um, services. Our Troubled Families Programme, which we badge as Families First in Bradford, and also our Prevention and Early Help uh, Services. Right, so not a few things then, Jim. Well, there's, uh, there's plenty, plenty to keep us busy. <laughs> uh, but uh, what, one thing about working for Bradford, I'd say, is there's never a dull moment. But within that population of 150,000. We are the fourth largest metropolitan um, council in the country. 
is the most incredible diversity. And that's what makes the job so interesting. And if you use the word diversity, you can slice and dice diversity and you will get that in Bradford between rich and poor, affluent and, and, and inequality, um, age diversity, ethnicity diversity, you name it, language diversity. It's got it all, which actually makes it a really, really exciting place, a really challenging place, but most of all, a really interesting place to do social work, to do work with families and to do prevention work as well. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm totally aware of the diversity and actually the richness of it. I mean, what is it, Jim, something like 120 odd languages spoken in Bradford? It's, it's really easy to remember it. One, two, three, 123 <laughs> uh, spoken in, in, in Bradford. I mean, I mean, the ethnic makeup of, of, of Bradford is, uh, is 65 percent or so uh, white British. Uh, we have 30 percent or so of our um, population are from Southeast Asian heritage, particularly of uh, Pakistani origin, mm -hmm. a really, really vibrant community, particularly in Bradford and Keithley. Um, and then we, we are a city of sanctuary, so we have lots of uh, newly arrived community and a very large um, Eastern European community as well. Um, particularly Slovaks. We've got the third biggest population of Slovaks in the UK. I um, heard, Jim, that you were having some difficulty recruiting to uh, people who might specialise in working with that community. Well, actually, that's a, that's a really interesting point that you raised, David. So we are very, very proud of our workforce in, uh, in Bradford. We've got about 800 children that work across children's services, around 200 uh, social workers and if you look at the diversity of our workforce certainly in terms of our ability to get alongside work understand be culturally competent with our um, uh, Asian population our workforce are brilliant at that and I think our Asian families Southeast Asian heritage get as good a service as our white British families because of our cultural competency. I really can't say that about our Eastern European families. So increasingly, uh, we have had more Eastern European children coming onto our caseload, whether that's child in need, prevention, early help, child protection, or, or looked after. And, and it does beg the question to me, if we had a workforce that included uh, Eastern European social workers, for example, would we have been more successful in avoiding drift and delay, stepping those cases down faster, reducing the number of children that become looked after? So actually, if there's any Eastern Europeans listening, give us a ring and we'll be delighted to talk to you mm. about Okay, good. Now, Jim, the, I mean, the pressure, the everyday pressure is quite intense because, I mean, Bradford, like any other major conurbation, has, has huge pockets of, of challenge as well as plenty of things to, to, to write home about. I mean, what over the years have you seen as sort of significant changes in terms of the kind of the focus of uh, preventative work? Yeah, well, that's um, uh, that, that's that's a really good question and a really interesting um, question, David. So, 
First thing I'd say, incredibly busy. So we have a we have round about fifty thousand calls uh, to our to our um, contact point uh, in the year. So we are incredibly busy. Uh, from that, we're distilling that down to the best part of five thousand assessments in the year at this moment of time. Um, as we speak today, we've got just over a thousand children who are looked after. Uh, around about 600 children on child protection plans, well over a thousand children who are child in need. Now, actually, incidentally, um, Bradford um, outperforms the majority of our statistical neighbours in terms of rate per 10,000. So we've got less uh, looked after children than child protection as a rate to 10,000 compared to many of our statistical neighbours. But we have seen all those trends going up. And if we look at the underlying issue, it is an increase in neglect-driven referrals. Now, part of that might well be because of our awareness of neglect. And you'll know, David, as the chair of our Safeguarding Children's Board, that we've done a lot of work on neglect. We've rewritten our neglect strategy. We've looked at um, thresholds as well. But you have to say that some of the reason that our neglect cases have risen has to be related to families in poverty. And that, 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 that covers families actually of all ethnic groups in, in poverty. So that's the trend that we've particularly seen, an increase in neglect um, referrals. I don't think anybody is denying the levels of poverty that exist today, and um, it really is a, a sort of a, a, a kind of a hand-wrenching kind of um, problem to think about how fast we can get out of it, and that doesn't seem to be a huge amount of light on the horizon nationally. Hey, anyway, Jim, let me ask you about something else, if I might, because I was talking historically there about changes that had occurred. I mean, in, in my view, and I wonder if you agree, that I think that safeguarding measures can, and headings, if you like, can be put into a couple of different categories. One is the established categories. You've just talked about neglect there and um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse and so forth. And the whole awareness we've had of, say, domestic abuse now, you know, over the years. But there's also a brand new group of... Um, categories that I would call the emerging safeguarding categories that are, are having to be sort of focused on, including kind of prevent modern day slavery, um, female genital mutilation, and so on. I mean, uh, we talked about this, I think I was at a conference and you were there the other day, weren't you? So, I mean, complex safeguarding, what's your take on that? Uh Spot on, um, David. So, yes, obviously, the majority of the um, cases that come in are domestic violence cases, um, mental health cases, substance misuse. And, and we always use this mantra, isn't it? It's the behaviour of parents or the behaviour of adults that, uh, uh, that that has particular resonance with the out children. And, and certainly always has been the reason that the majority of children have come into care. And lots of research, Joseph Roundtree Foundation, for example, the domestic abuse, mental health, substance misuse is more likely to increase in terms of adults that are in poverty. So that's that's the bit that we just discussed. But yes, you are absolutely right. Um, the the word of 
the, the world of complex safeguarding and those very, very challenging cases um, are, are increasing now, both on the fact that we have better knowledge, but also on the fact that, that probably there are more of those emerging um, cases as well. So uh, our, our, our MASH, which, which incidentally are a multi-agency safeguard. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you spell that, because I mean, there's other countries listening who might need to have it spelled out. Absolutely. So our multi-agency safeguarding hub, uh, which includes social workers, police officers, health workers, all working together under one roof. And uh, roof, and if you like, just taking the calls in, taking the referrals in, sifting them, saying, how concerned do we need to be? Does this need an immediate section 47, an immediate response, uh, a medium term response? Or is this something that we can ask someone else to, to deal with? is certainly dealing with some very complex cases. We, we have some particular expertise in Bradford, which we have a national reputation for in terms of our work with um, families where we think there is a risk of radicalization. Uh, we have a track record of working with families where we think there's a risk that those families might be seeking to travel to conflict zones and increasingly now about families that have returned from conflict zones uh, and whether or not that represents a safeguarding risk to children or not. So it's, a, it's a very complicated story. Uh, we certainly have um, in Bradford our share of children who are at risk of child sexual exploitation in, in an organised way. Uh, we've set up as part of our multi-agency safeguarding hub um, a child sexual exploitation unit. We have a, a very detailed plan around child sex, sexual exploitation. That includes health workers, police officers, social workers, and the voluntary sector. Uh, and we actually have a, a very sophisticated way of, of um, being aware of the risk to that child today and the measures that we take place uh, around. And now some of the um, issues that have come to the fore in, in the last year or so around modern slavery, uh, children being trafficked, um, children being trafficked into things like cannabis farms, as well as potential sexual exploitation. And again, the advantage of having uh, a MASH, a multi-agency safeguarding hub, police officers, social workers working side by side uh, means that we're in a better place to, to develop strategies for these complicated cases. Yeah, I mean, it's always been talked about over the years and uh, about working together and all the agencies, you know, pulling their resources and actually getting on. Um, and it took a while to really establish itself. But I mean, now it, it really is um, established well, isn't it? The multi-agency kind of um, facing the public and actually kind of being able to, to have collective thoughts on things. Very much so. I, I, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Can I just pick you up on one thing, Jim? I mean, I'll really add to it, if you like, is that you talked about families that were at danger of radicalization and had traveled to Syria, for example. My understanding is that Bradford is, is a leader in uh, working and preparing, if you like, for the return of families, whereas many other places or most other places in the country where the similar radicalization goes on are mainly concerned with individuals. Is yes, that, yeah. is that that is the case, isn't it? 
That's very much the case, and uh, we have provided health and support to other local authorities, and our police forces provided health and support to to other police uh, police forces as well. It's mm. a very very complicated area. Yeah, it uh, is. Because what we want to know is: Are the children safe? And where does um, someone's proposals in terms of where they're going to travel to, where they're traveling back to, um, their religious beliefs, where does that come a safeguarding issue? And when is that just um, a, 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 a human rights issue? Yeah. You know, yeah. you have the, the, the right to do that. Things, for example, like homeschooling, um, people who are being electively home educated, when is that a right and entitlement that we should support? And when is that cross the line and come a potential safeguarding issue? These are very, very complicated judgment calls. And we only get it right if we uh, put all the information that we have together and that we have a suitably skilled social worker who ultimately can go and knock on the door of the family, engage them in conversation, explain why we're worried, and then come up with a, a safety plan if we remain worried after we've had that conversation. Uh, and what we've uh, employed in Bradford to, to help us with those conversations is this technique of, of, of a framework called Signs of Safety. Um, you'll be familiar with the signs of safety, David, but signs of safety we have found as a very good tool for actually helping us to say, what are we worried about in this circumstances? What is the danger to the child in this circumstance? Uh, and, and actually get down to say, we are worried about this child because, and if we can articulate that with the family, then the next step is to say, we would not be worried with the child. What would need to be happen next is this, this and this. Because actually, all families have got strengths, things that are going well. Many families have got things that we're worried about. Now, if we can articulate with the family, help them understand what we'd like to happen next, then we're in a stronger position. And, and that works well uh, in all cases uh, where, where children are coming through uh, our safeguarding hub. Right. Let me move you on to, if I might, another subject. We kind of got about another five or ten minutes, if that's all right with you, Jim. Um, let's talk about the future to some extent and also what goes on behind the scenes. I, I wonder if the public generally um, don't realise that there is quite a lot of cooperation between children's services and adult services in local authorities. And there, there's now increasingly recognised there's plenty of areas of overlap, such as mental health or substance abuse or, um, I mean, even, I mean, like domestic violence. And, of course, sexual exploitation doesn't stop at 18. And, and there's the whole business of the, what we call transition from childhood to adulthood, uh, especially if you've got, say, learning difficulties, if you have a disability and it takes a bit longer and you need sort of support on all sides of the 18 years of age. So, Jim, do you want to just sort of, I'm hoping you're going to reinforce that and talk, say that there is a lot of cooperation. And taking that forward then, so it's a long question, but is this digital question that we talked about earlier, what is the future of our service delivery in the future in an increasingly digital age? 
that's the sort of questions I'd like you to sort of wrap up uh, with, if you could. Yeah, well, so let me um, first endorse exactly what you've said, uh, then about some of the things that we've done in Bradford, and then I'll actually talk about where there are possibly some uh, digital um, solutions. So you're absolutely right. Uh, we've got um, a thousand children or so that are in our care at this moment of time. We're also supporting, actively supporting around about 300 children who are over the 18 who are care leavers. And we see it as our responsibility as corporate parents to continue to provide support to children beyond the age of 18 just as the majority of parents in this country continue to support their children uh, beyond, beyond the age of 18. And there are many of our children, by the way, who are looked after doing extremely well. As we speak, we've got 33 of our children at university beyond the age of 18, but we support them at university. We support them when they come home in the holidays, as you would expect, with um, supported lodgings or, or staying put in, 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 in foster care. But there is a group of children that we that come to our attention because of the significant difficulties that they have, such as um, emerging mental health issues, autism, Asperger's, learning difficulties, um, physical disabilities as well, where we know that their needs will continue um, beyond the age of 18, their support needs will continue. And you're absolutely right. Vulnerable children that are being targeted for exploitation, child sexual exploitation, for example, that we manage very well through our child sexual exploitation unit, we wouldn't be casting them adrift on the day of their 18th birthday and say they're adults who are making their own decisions. They're still vulnerable adults uh, who are being exploited. So we are work hand in glove with our adult services and, and particularly around disabilities. We've agreed actually that we start the transition process to, to, to adults at the age of 14 for those children with um, significant learning difficulties, physical difficulties or mental health issues such as we are fully aware that will continue to have support needs beyond the age of 18. We start that at the age of 14 transitioning the social worker. So at the 18th birthday, we're not just saying goodbye to this social worker, hello to, to this social worker. And we're, we're proud of that. Uh, and that's working very well. Okay. Move on to the question about digital technology. Mm, yes, please. Yes, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. It's, it's really important, actually, about how we utilise um, digital technology going forward. So, I mean, just, just as, as an example, uh, we are equipping all our social workers with tablets um, because we know that our social workers who are doing good social work don't spend that much time in the office. They need to be out and about, visiting families, talking to families, and we don't want them to come back into the office just to write case notes. So the reason that we've uh, equipped them with, with tablets is that so they can get our um, our database on the move, that they can fill in the database on the move, they can get emails on the move, but more importantly, that when they're visiting a child or a family and they need to help that child and family make an application, an application for school, an application for benefits, uh, an application for, for any other resource, 
that's all online these days. And many of our families, we talked about uh, significant levels of poverty, may not be online. So we can sit in their living room with a 4G enabled tablet and do that with them at that time. I talked earlier uh, around signs of safety. Uh, our social workers have a signs of safety app on their tablet. They can work with children doing uh, what's called the three houses, drawing pictures of houses, what they're worried about, what they're, safe, what, what they're happy about, what they want to do next, onto a tablet, it saves it, and that's our way of capturing the voice of the child and save it. We can upload it to the, the files. Now, getting those tablets out and about uh, would take me hours to explain the difficulties we had, getting them enabled, etc. but suffice to say, that's our ambition. We are going to be piloting uh, uh, in, in conjunction with the Children's Society and the Children's Commissioner um, a digital app for all our care leavers. So all our care leavers will be given a smartphone. Um, we know that some people have issues about credit and things, but we know that most of our young people with a smartphone can find Wi-Fi quite regularly, free Wi-Fi quite regularly and have an app for our care leaders to keep in touch with their social workers, to get messages, to be able to apply for, 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 for various issues through a smartphone app. Okay. We mm. think that, and that is the way forward. That's a very good innovation, a, a lot of that now around our disability services as well, around um, personal budgets, assisting families with personal budgets, assisting young adults with personal budgets, and again, using digital technologies to help those adults to, 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 to get what they need okay. using technology. I'm going to have to just get us on to the last question, Jim, all right? Um, yeah. And i tell you what it is. It is it, I want to ask you, I promised I wouldn't ask you any difficult questions, but I'm going to ask you a difficult question. Um, and it's just this to do with the use of technology. So we're in that world still. Many places around the country are actually looking actively at setting up a team or authorizing people to, uh, to look at the um, social media of families where children are subject to at-risk plans. Um, how do you feel about that professionally? You know, because there could be argued to be an ethical issue there. At the same time, we've got the imperative that we must protect children at all costs. Yeah. Very good question, um, David. So I would say that children's social work services are playing catch up around social media. And we are playing catch up. Um, I can think, and I'm actually reasonably social media literate. I, I use Twitter actually as a good way of 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 um, celebrating the success of Bradford. But actually, I use Twitter as a very good way of up to date information about what's happening in the world of, of social care. So I'm a brilliant. Uh, I'm a great advocate for for, for Twitter. But um, some of the young people that we've worked with, particularly children who've ended up at risk of child sexual exploitation, um, the contact that they've made with people who are not suitable, in, in our opinion, who are, who are seeking to exploit those children, has been online. And, and sometimes it's been using apps and social media 
that I'm thinking I've never heard of that before. So it is really important that we are on the front foot if we are to protect children and certainly that we continue to work through schools and parents to help parents understand the world of social media, what might be happening in the child's bedroom from, from their mm. smartphone and how they can apply parental controls and have conversation with their children about what they might be accessing online. Oh, now, we yeah. are corporate parents to just over a thousand children. We should be having the confidence to be doing exactly the same. We want our children to have smartphones because that's the way that the world does business now. But equally, we need to support our children uh, to be safe around that. Now, in order to know that our children are, 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 are safe, then I take the opinion that we need to work with our children and our families um, as part of our assessments. And I think we need to be upfront with them when we're talking them, you know, in terms of GDPR saying, this is what we're proposing to do. Certainly with our children who are in care, I do it with my own children. They have a smartphone, I'm paying for it. I've said as part of condition for having a smartphone, I have the right to look at your 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 smartphone for every now and then, just just to be assured uh, that you are not getting yourself into into difficulty. And I think we need all the information that we can get. So I think mm. uh, we have to go there, but we have to make that explicit that when we're having our conversations with children and families, that that's exactly what we'll be doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just before you finish, Jim, I, I just sort of mentioned the fact that um, it was reported in the Guardian around the death, the time of the death of Peter Connolly, called Baby P, which is a very cause celebre in the UK. Um, that his mother, who always had denied having had anybody else in the house, just the night before on her Facebook account, actually talked about sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll and what a wonderful fella that she had now living with her. And if only people had possibly been monitoring the social media, there might, who knows, there might have been some kind of possibility of a different outcome. And that's the kind of basis for an argument that seems to be springing up across the country. Very, very briefly, what's your take on that, Jim? I think, very briefly, David, when it comes to protecting children and making sure children are safe, we need to use every tool at, at, at our disposal. So the issue that we have in Bradford, as in every other city, is that we have children going missing from time to time. We need to track those children down as fast as possible to make sure they're safe. Social media would be one way that we would be working with the police uh, to, to get some intelligence about where those children might be in order to make sure that they are safe. Mm -hmm. And most decisions we do hand in glove with the police yeah. and we work with them incredibly closely. All right, Jim. Look, it's been a pleasure having you on the programme. Thank you very much indeed. And, um, well, obviously, I'll be in touch with you. But, I mean, hopefully, too, that you people will uh, follow you as you are a prolific tweeter. So, OK, Jim, thanks again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, David. Thank you for having me on.